Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host the podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this week's episode, I'm going to review Warren Zevon's 1978 album, Excitable Boy. My story with Warren Zevon begins with the track Werewolves of London, which I distinctly remember hearing on rock radio in the late 70s. I thought that track was pretty cool, and later on I'm sure I heard other Zevon songs on the radio as well, and at some point that inspired me to buy a Warren Zevon Greatest Hit CD and giving that a shot. Turns out I really like the rocked-up, piano-heavy, singer-songwriter vibe of the music, and I especially like the way Warren delivered his wry, sardonic lyrics, which set him apart from the other artists he was grouped together with, you know, people like Jackson Brown, Carol King, and James Taylor. Warren was his own thing, and he was greatly respected by his peers, but he always kind of flew under the radar, never really reached the heights of popularity he deserved. So once I decided I like Warren's music, Excitable Boy was the first non-greatest hits record I got, largely because it had the most songs I already knew on it. And there you have it. Now I'll go over some basic facts about Excitable Boy, brought to you by Wikipedia. When you don't know who to trust, trust Wiki. Excitable Boy is the third studio album by American rock singer-songwriter Warren Zevon, released on January 18, 1978, on Asylum Records. It was produced by Jackson Brown and Waddy Wachtel, and was recorded in 1977 at the Sound Factory Los Angeles, California. It reached number 8 on the Billboard Pop Albums chart, and is certified gold by the RIAA. Now I'll give you the lineup card for this album. We have Warren Zevon on lead, harmony, and backing vocals, piano, organ, and synthesizer, Jorge Calderon on harmony and backing vocals, Danny Cooch Korchmar on guitar and percussion, and Russ Kunkel on drums. There are a fuck ton of additional musicians on this record that I'm not going to list here, but if I feel they deserve a mention, I'll bring it up during the track by track. So now I'm going to get into a track-by-track analysis of this album. Leading things off is Johnny Strikes Up the Band, written by Warren Zevon. Freddy get ready, rock steady, when Johnny strikes up the band. They'll be rocking in the project, walking down along the strand. Freddy get ready, rock steady. Johnny strikes up the band Johnny strikes up the band This has a mid-tempo, almost 70s California rock vibe, with Warren's piano leading the way and bass supplied by famed session player Leland Sklar. It has a good choppy chorus and a persistent cowbell beginning with the last verse, which I dig, and a nice short guitar solo towards the end of the track. 
Warren has an unusual voice for a singer-songwriter in this era. It's deeper with limited range, but it's also capable of conveying emotional heft, and as a vehicle for putting across his lyrics, it's very effective and easy to get used to. I didn't quite know exactly what the lyrics of the song meant, but apparently they can be interpreted in many different ways. I read online that they could be about Johnny Carson, John Lennon, or even code for a drug dealer, fucked if I know. I do like the lead into the choruses, Freddy Get Ready, Rock Steady, and I like this track, though I'm not sure I would have let off the album with it. It's middle of the pack as far as I'm concerned. The next track is Rollin' the Headless Thompson Gunner, written by David Lindell and Warren Zevon. Thompson Gunners Roland was the best So the CIA decided They wanted Roland dead That son of a bitch Van Owen Blew off Roland's head In the summer of 1975, Warren moved to Spain and found work at the Dubliner Bar, a small tavern near Barcelona that was owned by a David Lindell, a former mercenary. Together, the two wrote this track, a story song about a Norwegian mercenary named Roland fighting with his allies in the Nigerian Civil War and the Congo Crisis of the 1960s. Roland earns a reputation during these conflicts as the best Thompson gunner and attracts the attention of the CIA, which has his comrade Van Owen blow off Roland's head. Then Roland becomes a phantom seeking revenge on Van Owen and haunting other violent conflicts throughout the succeeding years. Warren proves himself the master of the story song, injecting this track with plenty of dark humor, along with actual historical information. The music is again piano-driven and serves the lyrics with dramatic swells and quiet passages. Bob Glob, another session musician, plays bass on this and has a notable presence. I fucking love this song, and it has many highlights, from the humorous backing vocals, rolling the headless Thompson Gunner, to the pounding end of the track with Patty Hurst heard the burst of Roland's Thompson gun and bought it. <laughs> Warren proves he has a warped, macabre sense of humor, and I totally dig that. This track is the last song Warren ever performed in public, on The Late Show with David Letterman in 2003, at the request of Dave himself, as it was his favorite Warren Zevon song. Warren had ties to Letterman going way back, and even served as his occasional musical director when Paul Schaefer couldn't be there. This is one of Warren's major works, and one of his best, no question about it. We move on now to the title track, Excitable Boy, written by Leroy Marinell and Warren Zevon. This one tells the tale of a disturbed young man who displays increasingly violent behavior while his actions are dismissed by the people in authority over him as the doings of an excitable boy. Warren couches this near-horror story ironically with upbeat, grooving music with plenty of bouncing piano, Bob Glob's weaving bass lines, and honking saxophone played by Jim Horn. <laughs> 
There are doo-wop-styled backing vocals sung by Jennifer Warrens and Linda Ronstadt that prominently feature on the track as well. This tune is another showcase of Warren's twisted humor and a commentary on people who live in denial when the problems are happening right in their faces. Standout track. I love it. Now we come to Werewolves of London, written by Wadi Wachtel, Leroy Marinell, and Warren Zevon. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fuchs. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein. Draw blood. Holy shitballs, Batman, do I love this song. This is a simple three-chord pop rock tune that is about as simple as it gets for Warren's music. There's no hidden or deeper meaning here. It's literally about a werewolf and is loaded with funny lines such as Lon Chaney and Lon Chaney Jr. walking with the Queen and the werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's. The whole song's a goof. Apparently, Warren wrote it very quickly and certainly didn't expect it to become his best-known song and a number 21 hit on the American Top 40 chart. Musically, it's got Warren's ever-present piano, along with John McVie on bass and Mick Fleetwood on drums. Holy fuck, Fleetwood Max rhythm section's on this. And Waddy Wachtel plays a tight, rocking guitar solo. I remember playing this in my car years ago with my kids riding in the back, and they got excited when they heard this start up. I was like, yeah, my kids are cool. Then they heard the voice and wondered, what's this? They didn't like it. And then I realized they thought it was Kid Rock who had a hit single mashing up the music of this with Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. No, kids, this ain't kid fucking rock. This is the real shit. A thousand times better than anything that goober could come up with. And he'd probably even agree with me. This is Warren fucking Zevon. <sighs> anyway, everybody, let's erase that bad memory and give a howl for Warren. Come on, you know you want to. Ready? Ow! Continuing on through the album, we get Accidentally Like a Martyr, written by Warren Zevon. slow ones too. Leland Sklar returns on bass, and Carla Bonoff helps out on harmony vocals, but it's Warren's vocals that really make this song a standout for me. You can hear the pain, loneliness, and resignation in his voice as he sings of a relationship where the love has disappeared and he can't get past it. The chorus is particularly affecting, and the line, the hurt gets worse and the heart gets harder, really hits me hard, and on certain days you might catch me with a tear in my eye when this comes on. It's one of those tunes that gets to me, but I still want to hear it. I never skip it. I guess I just need to feel it, want to share in Warren's pain. I also love the piano figure that is played after the choruses. It fits the somber mood of the track so perfectly, and I ride out with it when the song fades. Thanks, Warren. 
So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Nighttime in the Switching Yard. Written by Jorge Calderon, David Lindell, Wadi Wachtel, and Warren Zevon. Nighttime in the switching yard. 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 Get it out on my main line. Bob Glaub plays some funky bass to a danceable beat played by famous session drummer Jeff Procaro, who is also a member of Toto. And then some funky guitar comes in, as the song has a definite disco flavor to it, as this was the late 70s. The lyrics seem to be about trains and listening to the train whistle whine, though I read that it could also be about the drug heroin with the get it out on the mainline lyric. In truth, I don't think this has any really deep meaning, so much that it's a vehicle for Warren to stretch out on a different musical style from the rest of the record and ride along a funk groove for a while. It's fine, I don't have a problem with it, but it does feel a bit out of place on the album and is my least favorite track, so this has to be Aaron's Stinky Stinker. Next up is Veracruz. Written by Jorge Calderon and Warren Zevon. I heard Woodrow Wilson's guns. I heard Maria calling. Veracruz is dying. And where? A wood flute played by Jim Horn begins this track, and it leads to another story song that has its roots in another historical event, the United States occupation of the Mexican port of Veracruz in 1914. The song's point of view is that of a Mexican citizen who flees the city with his family at the insistence of his father as the Americans have arrived. The middle bridge of the track is sung in Spanish by Jorge Calderon, in which the main character vows to return to Veracruz and die if he must. The music dramatizes the lyrics very well and has Mexican instrumentation, such as Requinto Guitar by Manuel Vasquez, Jarana by Luis Damien, and Mexican Harp by Arthur Gerst, to augment the basic bass by Kenny Edwards and drums by Rick Marotta. I know that's a lot of names I'm throwing around, but these musicians are important to the sound of this track, and I feel they're worth mentioning. It shows that Warren wasn't afraid to try something different and experiment a bit with his sound to get a desired atmosphere or feel for a particular song. Veracruz tells a powerful tale that emphasizes that in any conflict, there are always multiple points of view of it and not just what we're told in the history books. Great track. The penultimate track is Tenderness on the Block, written by Jackson Brown and Warren Zevon. This is a very singer-songwriter piece with a jaunty piano riff, uncomplicated bass from Kenny Edwards, 
and layered backing vocals hearkening back to that 70s California rock scene. It feels quite a bit like a Jackson Brown song, which makes sense since Jackson co-wrote this with Warren, and the lyrics definitely feel like Jackson had a hand in them. To me, the song is about learning to accept change in your life, specifically the parents of a young girl who's growing up and experiencing life on her own, including romantic relationships. It reassures that the girl will be okay, though it's hard to let your little girl go, and as I've had experience in this area myself, I can relate to what Warren is singing about. It's got a good chorus, and though I don't think this is a great achievement or anything, it's a solid track that doesn't fuck with the flow of the album. It's not bad. And that brings us to the final track, Lawyers, Guns, and Money, written by Warren Zevon. I was gambling in Havana I took a little risk Send lawyers, guns, and money Dead, get me out of this What a great title for a song, huh? This was inspired by an incident Warren had in Cuba, where he was riding in a taxi with his manager, and the taxi driver stopped off to rescue his sister, who had been kidnapped, leading to a car chase with the kidnappers. This track is about an American who is gambling and whoring in Cuba, and getting himself in local trouble so he goes on the run, asking Dad for lawyers, guns, and money to help get him out of there. It could also be a commentary on American culture, that all you need to escape any sticky situation is said lawyers, guns, and money. At least it seems to work a good deal of the time anyway. It's another one of Warren's sardonic, humorous songs, and the lyrics are married to a harder, rocking, mid-tempo thumper, with bass by Kenny Edwards and drums by Rick Marotta. The piano and guitar play the main riff in unison and keep the rocking vibe moving forward with added hand claps for percussion. Warren punctuates his vocals with a lot of vocal uhs and owls and ha, and it's cool as fuck. This is one of his most popular songs, and I dig the shit out of it. Now that the track by track is over, I'll go into my final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine, all the way down to a 0, which is fecal matter. Warren Zevon had an interesting life to say the least. In the early 70s, he was the band leader and keyboard player for the Everly Brothers. In 1975, he roomed with Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham as they were just hitting it big in Fleetwood Mac. He struggled with alcohol and substance abuse. He dropped out of the music scene more than once due to personal issues, only to return each time to keep making records. He worked with and had friendships with tons of popular artists and had them guest on his records, all of whom admired his talent, despite the fact that he never quite had the same success as they did. He was championed by David Letterman, and he never took care of himself, refusing to see doctors for years until he finally developed lung cancer that took his life in 2003 at age 56. A real shame, because I think he still had a lot to offer, as evidenced by when he was sick and dying, he still maintained that sense of humor he was known for. Excitable Boy, along with his previous self-titled album, is an early peak for Warren Zevon, showcasing all the elements that make his music so interesting. Tight arrangements, excellent playing, humorous lyrics, and a unique vocal delivery. 
I give this record a five, as it's my favorite Warren Zevon album and a must-listen for anyone who especially digs the singer-songwriter movement that dominated a great deal of the 1970s. It has a bit of a different vibe from the rest of the pack, but that's what makes this music and this artist so damn vital. And though it's been over 14 years at the time of this recording, Warren William Zevon, rest in peace. I'd now like to throw a shout-out to all those who have liked or commented on last week's podcast. So thank you, Paul Lang, Sam George, Thomas Martin, Keith Toth, Ray Zimmer, Rich Laguerre, Cesar Aguilar, Melanie Madon, and Uncle Jim Martell. And I want to extend our thanks to everyone who has downloaded and or listened to the podcast. We so appreciate you all taking the time out of your day to listen to this little show. You are never and will never be taken for granted. We hope you keep listening. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. You can also review the show on Facebook if you'd prefer to do it that way, and yes, I'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email. We'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. I thought it was Kid Rock who mashed up this song with Leonard Skip. That, ah, my throat's dry. Kid Rock. <laughs> Fucking Kid Rock. Gotta be kidding me. Kid, Kid Rock. Kid Rock. Are you kidding me? This song is awesome. Fucking Werewolves of London. You, you don't take Werewolves of London and mash it with any other song, put your own words to it, and call it your song. That's bullshit. That's what I hate about that kind of shit. Kid Rock. I don't even know if the guy's got any fucking talent. God damn it. Kid 